gentlemen, to another episode of What's the Res, an ongoing conversation about the current resolutions in the world of high school debate. My name is Josh Herring. I am a humanities instructor and debate coach at Thales Academy in Rollsville, North Carolina. And today I want to cover a, uh, a technique episode that's dealing with two important parts of debate that will be important, particularly important for our novice debaters. Uh, in this episode, I want to go over flowing and burdens. Both are important, both take a little bit of work to figure out and be able to use in debate, but they are both two keys to finding success in debate. So I want to begin with flowing, and before I go any further, let me just be the first to admit that I am not a great flow judge. Um, I, I am a decent flow judge, and I do teach all of my students to flow the rounds, but I have a very basic way of flowing. There are much more intricate ways of flowing that are freely available on the internet. There are a bunch of YouTube videos. In this one, I'm just going to briefly describe the method that I teach my students to use in order to flow the round and that I encourage judges to use when I do judges training. After that, we're going to talk about three burdens and one tactic that you can use with burdens. But first, let's think about flowing. So first and foremost, what exactly is flowing? Well, flowing is a particular way of taking notes that develops, uh, developed through debate, and competitive debaters have used this for an awfully long time. It's a way of tracking the specific arguments that are made. And in one sense, it's a way of making sure that you do everything you're supposed to do in each speech in the debate. If you've been listening to our show and you've been going to debate tournaments, then you know that uh, each person on a debate team has specific jobs. If you give the first constructive, you have to get out all the arguments and you need your claim, warrant, and impact structure. But if you're the second speaker, usually your job is to give the rebuttal speech. And flowing is critical for the rebuttal speech. It's what's going to give you a roadmap of what the other team said and let you and your partner quickly figure out how you need to respond in order to advance your own case. So let's start with the bare, the bare basics of flowing. The first thing you need is a pen and paper, preferably pens of two different colors. So uh, you could do this with a standard pad of notebook paper. You could do this with printer paper. I personally have, come, have grown to enjoy doing this on a legal pad. And what you're going to do is you're going to divide a sheet of paper into as many columns as there are speeches in the debate round. So if that's Lincoln Douglas, you've really got five round, five speeches. If it's public forum, you've got eight. And uh, uh, it might be 11, depending on if you decide to flow cross or not. Uh, if you're doing Coolidge, it's going to be a little different as well, because you've got eight speeches and four crosses. So you've got 12 columns there. Each column is going to get a specific label. So your first affirmative speech is called the first affirmative constructive. That gets labeled 1AC. If you're flowing cross, your next column is good. I do an X to indicate cross, and then you have the first negative constructive. After all of your constructives, you have rebuttals, and those get the same numbering system. First affirmative rebuttal is the 1AR, and the, then you have the first negative rebuttal, the 1NR, and so on. Once you have your flow labeled, you're ready to start the round. Now, the way this typically works, I, have, I usually have my students listen to a couple debates, and if you want to listen to some debates, we have a couple free episodes on our podcast on uh, this channel. We also have a channel of debates. Uh, call, we call them premium debates, and you can find those at whatstheres.podbean.com slash premium. Currently, as of this episode, we have eight premium debates available that you could use. Those, they're great for practicing flowing drills. I really enjoyed working through those. Because 
Now, what you're going to do with each column is that you have to fit all of your notes about the arguments in from that speech in that column. So if you have a 1AC that is four minutes in length, well, everything that the first affirmative speaker gets out, you need to put in your column. Now this is where one of the reasons we stress in debate training structure to students is because we know we're eventually going to be using this format of note taking. So students should say, my first argument, my first piece of evidence, my second piece of evidence. Doing that should let you be able to take notes very quickly on that. Now, one other thing I should mention is that you want to develop a system of abbreviations. What you'll find if you flow uh, several debates is that debaters tend to use similar styles. They tend to use, and they tend to say things either are good or bad. They're going to get better. They're going to get worse. And these are all, the, the commonalities are things that you can develop symbols to use. I use a lot of arrows. Anything that is good gets an arrow pointing up. If a debater says, this is going to make the economy grow, I'm going to abbreviate that to econ with an up arrow and so on. And there are lots of suggestions across the internet. You can use stars, you can do color coding. Um, I find that the more that I flow rounds, the more I find I will just abbreviate words as shortly as possible and I'll use dashes to connect thoughts and so on. But you need to find the system that works for you. Now what this will do, if you flow correctly, you'll flow the first round, then you'll flow the one NC, and then when you get to rebuttal speeches, you want to start making connections across your columns. Because what should happen is that as the first negative rebuttal speaker gets up, he'll address the arguments that the affirmative speaker gave. And as the first affirmative rebuttal speaker gets up, he'll address the arguments that the negative gave. And you want to look for whether or not all of the other team's arguments are addressed. If any are dropped, well, that's good for the team whose argument was dropped. The first level of judging that I teach judges when I'm teach, going through judge, doing judges training is to look for dropped arguments. Now, if you are a policy debater or you've done debate for a long time, you know that there's a lot of other ways you can score around. But the first level of debate really begins with recognizing that as a when you come to rebuttal speech, that's when the debate really begins. That's when you begin returning the debate back to or you respond to what the other person has said. That's where this really gets fun. Now, as debates speed up, the flow becomes much more important. The faster the debate, the easier it is to drop different arguments. So when you're flowing, you can that gives you a roadmap to know what you have to respond to from the other team. Your flow also gives you a way to make sure that you can see what evidence the other team has brought to bear. As you quickly jot down a note about that piece of evidence or this piece of evidence, you can then, that gives you material for your questions in cross. And that gives you, it gives you a lot of other pieces as well. If the round is called into question, if you have some reason to suspect that cheating occurred, the flow becomes a way of you having a record of what exactly was said in the round. Now, this is a very basic introduction to flowing. It's something I hope that my middle school students in particular will add to their debate repertoire, and we'll be working in our uh, debate club. But it's really a, it's, it's a hallmark of debaters that they're trying to track the flow of argumentation. When you get really good at this, it'll let you master the idea of really controlling the narrative of the debate. You'll be able to look at your flow and see where the arguments have gone, as you get to those last speeches, you'll be really well prepared to crystallize the round and explain to the judge exactly what has happened and why you should win the round. Now that's flowing. 
it's a little bit like those drills that I suspect you did when you were a little kid, and uh, your teacher made you write letters the exact same way for hours on end, and if you were like me, you hated it, and you didn't practice very well, and today you have really terrible penmanship, but in hindsight, I know that if I had practiced that well, I would have much better penmanship today. Flowing is the penmanship of debate. And the better your flow, the better you are able to respond to the arguments and the better your chances are picking up the round. Well, that's flowing. It's, it's, really a, it's a really helpful technique. It's the, it's the best way to really begin seeing more in the round than just trying to remember one thing that was said from the previous speech and so on. Let's also talk about burdens in this episode. Because burdens are another piece of that beginning debaters often have trouble figuring out. A burden simply refers to one of the jobs that you have in your role of the debate. Remember, debate is a game, and in this game of debate, you have a certain job to play. And when you play your role correctly, it lets the other person play his role correctly, and you both have a great debate. Whether you win or lose, you want to make sure that you bring your best to the game. So, let's talk about these burdens. So there's, I want to talk about one that belongs really to each side, and then we'll talk about one that belongs to both sides. So first, on affirmative, or if you're in public forum, on the pro side of the case, you have what is called the burden of definition. And we've got a whole separate episode dealing with definition, so I'm not going to rehash that. I'll just refer you back to that episode. It's back in season one if you want to look at uh, how that works. But what the burden of definition means is that affirmative has the privilege or the responsibility of setting the terms of the debate. Often, when you have a debate, your resolution has terms that could be defined in in at least one or more than one way. And that means whichever way affirmative decides to set the terms of the debate, uh, that, that means they control those rounds. Uh, So, for example, uh, if I used, uh, so if we use the current uh, public forum resolution, the EU should join the Belt and Road Initiative. Well, uh, the EU should be pretty straightforward. Belt and Road Initiative should be pretty straightforward. The one ambiguous term is join. Does join, uh, if I define join as uh, join with complete commitment, well, that's going to take the debate in a certain direction. If I define join as uh, at least partial agreement with the goal of the Belt and Road Initiative, that's a totally different direction for the debate. So affirmative has the burden of debate, or I'm sorry, the burden of definition. What that means then is that affirmative has to define the terms in a reasonable way. And this is where NEG can't just ignore definitions. You can't just trust that affirmative will have definitions. I've been in plenty of rounds where affirmative does not define any terms. And that means there's a moment where NEG can seize control of the round. NEG can then offer definitions in place of the lack of definitions that affirmative has. If affirmative fails to meet the burden of definition, negative can pick that up. And suddenly, the NEG side can really control the direction of the debate towards what benefits their arguments. Now, that's not to say that NEG, and sometimes AF will have crazy definitions. And if AF gives crazy definitions, NEG still has the, NEG has the ability to come back and say, Judge, those are terrible definitions. Clearly, the European Union is not just the uh, area of France called Provence. That would be silly. Instead, we need to recognize the European Union is 
this actual uh, market in that contains over 30 countries in Europe or something of that nature. Where if AF defines the terms in a weird way, NEG can come back and claim that AF has failed to meet their burden. So burden of definition is critical because it really determines the direction that the round is going to go. And if AF neglects to really provide good definitions, that becomes a really important point that NEG should bring up in a final focus or in the final rebuttal speech to really point out that the AF or pro side failed to provide definitions and dropped this burden. And that means the round should go to the negative. Well, let's talk about the negative's burden then. Because if AF has the particular burden of definition, NEG has a particular burden too. And it's, I've seen this one called the burden of clash or the burden of rejoinder. Debate is a unique exercise or an activity in which both sides must disagree. AF has the responsibility of bringing a plan, bringing arguments. AF must uphold the resolution, in which case NEG must disagree with AF. And really, I, I am of the opinion that the, the best debates are the debates with really strong clash. When we have very strong disagreements, that's when we have really good debate. And that is negative's particular burden. Negative must disagree with whatever the affirmative has said. When affirmative comes on, comes to the table and brings their definitions and brings their arguments, and if AF then gets up and says, I agree, those are some great ideas. In fact, let me tell you how we can even go beyond, we can do even better than what AF has said. I would argue that NEG has lost the round in that moment because NEG has failed to actually disagree with the resolution. Negative's burden is to actually clash with AF. Whatever plan, whatever arguments, whatever uh, contentions affirmative brings, NEG must disagree with those. And this sometimes places negative cases in tricky waters. But some resolutions are worded better than others. Uh, I remember one resolution last year that had to do with um, the affirmative side was upholding an advocacy point about uh, the ineffectiveness of prisons for uh, dealing with drug rates and something of that nature. And I kept waiting for negative students to actually uphold their side of the argument and say that people who break the law should be punished and should be thrown in jail. And I never saw a strong clash on that point. So when I'm judging at least, part of what I'm looking for is looking to see that negative owns whatever side they fall into they have they're given by the affirmative case. The affirmative gets to give their case first in everything but public forum, because public forum is strange. And then neg must clash, must disagree with AF. When we don't have clash, we don't have a debate. Instead, we just have people making pretty speeches across each other. There must be clash in order to have strong debate. Well, let's talk about one burden that both sides have, and I'm calling this the burden of evidence. Uh, and really, this is part of what makes debate different than just people who have strong opinions at the Thanksgiving dinner table, because that's a kind of debate, but it's not competitive debate. Competitive debate means that both sides have taken a resolution, they have researched it to the best of their ability, whether that's in the 30 minutes before a world's format debate begins, or the six weeks before a public forum debate begins, or Lincoln-Douglas debate begins, or whether it's the eight months before a, a policy tournament happens late in the competitive season. Both sides have done the best they can to support their contentions with evidence. 
Affirmative cannot just get up and say, I agree with the resolution for three reasons, and then sit down. Instead, affirmative has to support their evidence with, or support their reasons with evidence. Now, this in our traditional, in the traditional American way of kind of teaching debate today, comes in the acronym CWI or Claim Warrant Impact. Warrant here is the evidence point. Your argument is incomplete without evidence. The evidence is the support that holds up the argument. Now, this is why debate. Uh, really has a ton of educational value because it's not just about making arguments for making arguments' sake. Instead, it's actually about learning all of these really interesting, cool parts of the world that normally we don't study. Normally, we don't learn about these, especially not in middle school or high school. But instead, because the debate resolution has offered you the opportunity to study it, your, your burden is to bring as much evidence to the round as possible. And once you have met that burden of evidence, then you can begin to be selective and figure out what's the best evidence, not just what's the most evidence, but rather what's the best evidence I can bring to most solidly support my case. So the affirmative has the burden of definition, the negative has the burden of clash or rejoinder, and both sides have the burden of evidence. I hope this episode has been helpful to you. We've covered the basics of flowing, and we've covered three burdens that are essential to debate. I look forward to joining you next time for more What's the Res? In the meantime, we'd love for you to get in touch with us and let us know how your debate life is going. Uh, you can do that by emailing us at whatstheres at gmail.com uh, or reach out to us over Twitter, Instagram, or Reddit at the hashtag at whatstheres underscore or check in with us at facebook.com slash whatstheres. If you want some flowing practice or want to see these burdens in action, you can find out all about them uh, through our premium debate episodes. You can access those for $3 a month or $30 a year. And you can find those at our at whatstheres.podbean.com. I look forward to joining you next time for more What's the Res. Until then, work hard, speak well, and seek the truth. <laughs>